Right. Um, but but really quick, Deathcon, who's in the chat, said Deathcon was like earlier, said, I've been I've really been looking forward to this stream. And then just said, uh, giving up my own juvenile, sexist, transphobic, homophobic, giving up that form of jouissance was a notable point of what I would call maturity. Is this what people usually mean when we speak of maturity? I mean, I could, I, I think there's something to that. Yeah, I think I mean, that... I, there's a teenager mode of enjoyment that I think people oftentimes move beyond as they mature. doesn't mean they don't have other forms of enjoyment. They, 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 they're there, but the kind of what we think of as like wild, free spirited, um, teenager oriented enjoyment of the, you know, that youthful spirit. Yeah. I, I, I think the, that comes with certain forms of jouissance. Like being, like being edgy and saying things just get a rise out of people. Um, yeah. Seems yeah. does it does seem immature. It just kind of to me, it like all of a sudden I'm like thinking, okay, well, I've got like my theory of of maturity, and now I'm sitting here wanting to like parse through that. But then I'm like, well, that's not what I should be doing this stream. I, I don't I don't know if Zizek has a theory of maturity, right? I've never seen anything like that. But here's the thing, right? Like, that's why for 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 my for everything I have to say about it in my book or whatever is just that. You know, one of the big things about maturity is delayed gratification, saying no to your own, you know, saying no to like immediacy, immediate self-gratification and trying to trying to sometimes do otherwise, which would be, you know, towards this longer term thing. Right. And so it's, you know, talking about the how consumerism keeps us locked into immediate gratification and in a form of immaturity there where it's. Like, you know, adults being immature is ubiquitous, right? And it's just, it's just, I mean, it's arguably a feature of, of consumerism. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think some people might use that, you know, this, this talk of, oh, you know, to, to, to kind of shame poor people, for instance. Oh, well, you know, you haven't pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You could, you need to grow up mature delay gratification but the point the point of a critique of political economy is to see that yeah no one no one is is doing that right no no one is growing up yeah in in well in, and i do that pivots in so deathcon if if you would like to read something it's actually not too long of a read that i think is really worth reflecting on it's uh a book you love dave uh alan badu's the true life Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the great things is that he's saying, in a lot of ways, especially I think he, he argues young men nowadays don't have any rites of passage that mark the transition. There's no rituals they go through that basically installs in them this sense of, okay, I have to. It's almost like St. Paul's words, right? Like, um, I, when I was a child, I thought as a child that I put childish things away. There's no symbolic mechanisms anymore that mark this transitional phase for kids. I, and Badu thinks it's it's true of boys especially. But yeah, the true life would be something I think you would like. Yeah, it's a great little book. I mean, it's he calls for a new symbolization, and that, so the new symbolization publishing gets its name ultimately from that little book. You know, I've always said it's. Like Badu's actual 
philosophy as in as presented in being in a van and logic of the world it's never resonate and resonated with me very much but i love his short books <laughs> yeah same here same you know yeah i i, I don't know what to, i you know if uh that's just the way it is <laughs> i i've i've tried to read as long i'm like i don't know i don't i don't know if i don't i don't know what he's doing i can't well they're really hard let's be honest about that but yeah yeah i would have to have somebody who i would have to have somebody who's done what you've done with Bojard and Zizek uh, and Lacan I'd have to have someone who's done all of that only with him, you know, yeah. and and yeah. You, that it would it would be an amazing feat. That's the thing is to be able to make, but to to be able to do bad do justice would be pretty cool. But anyway, all right, so let's get back on track here. So all right, so here, here's and, what I want. And to actually, say. I'll just I know we're not going to talk about it tonight, but uh, Zizek gets a ja a, a short a sort a, a sort of critique in against yeah, we have to kind of bad do. Because it it just happened, and so we'll talk about it some other time. But so it really is so good. But uh, Zizek just had a quote unquote debate with Vivek Chibber, and uh, it was on the Jacobin YouTube channel, and or it still is, and it's good. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be uh, putting a video out about it soon. Um, I've already talked about it on stream, but Vivek is important and. People need to know about him and what he's doing. Um, but yeah, they both get their digs in at Bad Doing. I remember uh, when we'd when we'd met uh, Slavoj. Um, I I think I don't know. I, I remember we're getting around that he he had had a falling out with Bad Do because yeah. he and Bad Do had been getting along and all this. Um, but it, it, apparently, like the the main theoretical disagreement, at least according to that thing, was the labor aristocracy. And Badu's way of talking about workers in the first world, and um, Zizek and also uh, Vivek are are vehemently opposed to this this way of uh, of doing things or th seeing things or thinking or conceptualizing or theorizing the working class um, in a way to to be that oh well you know first world workers are just not revolutionary because they're so privileged. Right. And so a big part of what we're getting at here in Slavoj's uh, or in Zizek's theory of ideology is is a is a more sophisticated um, explanation of some of the main factors that give ideology its sway, you know, in, in a way that far, far goes beyond whatever's happening at the semantic letter level right mm -hmm. yeah um, you say that's so i mean i'll just briefly i really love that discussion obviously i'm much more familiar with zizek than chibber but the thing i'll say like i uh, chibber's words really were moving for me like it like i really loved what he had to say in a, on a lot of issues pertaining to what's going on on the left. As far as ideology goes, I I like this. I, I, I've told you, I like this move where it's like working class people are not just complete idiots. You know, they, you know that a lot of what they're doing is in their self-interest. It's not just ideological. Yet at the same time, I think he doesn't... I, I don't think he gets 
how ideology functions in this libidinal way. Right. That Zizek does. I yeah. wonder I wonder if he I did he didn't seem to at any point in that conversation um show signs of really knowing or working with um Zizek's he doesn't I can theory. tell like he doesn't have any of the Zizekian psychoanalytic insights going with ideology. And and in that conversation, Zizek is just like basically talks some smack about postmodern Marxists and psychoanalysts, people who don't think the working class really matters or thinks that it just is, you know, I, 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 well, I don't think I'd characterize it the way I was about to here, but we're, we're not going to get into it anyway. So we just need to do a stream at some point where we talk about the video. I, I'm, I've That's been thinking, out. I've been thinking what would be good is that we just play it and pause it and talk about it do a couple of streams like that yeah do some react you know because theory tube doesn't have react content it doesn't it doesn't really have like live react content but we could react to clips i guess i mean doing the whole thing with that would be a a lot because you know how me and you will talk and talk about one thing like that could get really long yeah we could just have fun with it but right Right now, I'm just like, okay, so I've got the I've got the camera off. I'm not doing React content. And so I'll, we just wanted to raise awareness for anybody who's in the chat who didn't know about that conversation that just took place, um, that it's good and it's important. But yeah, uh, we're not so sure that Chibber knows exactly what Zizek's up to, and Zizek doesn't exactly defend himself. He just gets really kind of supportive of Chibber's project because he really likes it, but he doesn't really defend him his own. He doesn't really assert the value of his theory. And so that's one of the things ultimately that you're going to have to do for us, Michael, because, um, oh, great. Cause you know, if, 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 if someone as, as important and sweeping in his work as Chibber is, is missing something that Zizek's doing here, then we'll have to sort of, okay, so what is it and work through it? Well, I told you there's the moment where he's talking about, you know, well, people, in the working class for whatever reason this you know they supported trump and you can tell he doesn't have any good answers for why that happens his whole thing is that yeah but if you look at their material conditions and you actually take their situation into proper context you can start to see that there's a certain logic they're operating with that is reasonable given their situation and so but but here's the thing, right? Zizek has a much better way of explaining why someone like Trump resonates with people, and it's because of the libidinal dynamics at work with figures of the master, right? This is a whole section of this lecture I want to get to, so I don't want to go into it right now. But the point is, is that he uh, Zizek, I think, more fully can explain why someone like Trump can come in to the political scene and have such a, an enormous effect on it the way he did. And I don't think Chibber's framework is really going to be able to do much with it. It's just going to be like, well, yeah, you know, it's going to do basic shit. Like, oh, well, Trump spoke to their interests or what? Like, that's not the actual appeal that he had. And so Lacanian psychoanalysis does a much better job of fully fleshing out 
Wait, you cut out. I'm back. Is it back? Are we good? Are you there? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can, well, I can hear you now. Oh, okay. Are we back, everybody? I can hear you. Chat, chat. Are we back? Yeah, chat. Hey, you'll have to help remind me where, where we're at in this conversation because I totally, I was just saying something and then I lost it. But what I want to think. If I don't pivot into like what I really have to talk about, we'll do the same. Like we got to, let me get into the lecture here. All right. Deathcon, Deathcon said still here. And uh, let's just, let's jump in. All right. So this thing what I want to get into for this stretch of the discussion is just, I want to emphasize, and I mean, we already have, right? But for Zizek, what he brings to the table with his theory of ideology, it's also the role that politics plays in enjoyment. And so Zizek's politics, you can say, is a politics of enjoyment or jouissance, and that we cannot properly understand politics and ideology without understanding how jouissance factors into it. And this is why Todd McGowan's new book is basically, it's a book that's solely on the politics of enjoyment. And so even though Zizek has always written about politics from the perspective of jouissance, anybody who reads Zizek knows that he is a very, he it's like he's free associational in the way he does theory. And so he'll, he'll, he'll talk about political enjoyment and he'll connect it here and then he'll connect it there. But then he's off talking about movies and then he just goes, right? It's totally, it's, it really is like, like ADHD writing. If, if, if I could get away with writing books like that, I would have a lot of books to, you know, I'd be able to put a lot of books out, I imagine, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe like I've, I've emphasized, I think it was in our first lecture. This does not mean that he has a really inconsistent theory. No, I don't think he does. I think it's very cohesive. It's that the way he applies it, you don't, like when you know the theory as a whole or even like almost as a whole, like I've still got stuff to learn about it, of course, but I feel like I have a pretty decent grasp on how it works as a whole. Um, you see what he's doing with all these examples, right? But if you don't know this, the whole, like it's almost the Hegelian thing, like the truth is the whole, right? Like if you don't have the overarching structure of the, the theory, you don't see how each of these examples are are fitting into it. And he can't explain the whole theory every time he gives you an example. And so it's it, learning his theory is just this process of going, it's like dialectical. You go from the particular example back to the theory as a whole, the theory as a whole to a particular example. And you just, you keep tearing with that conflict between okay I, I know he's talking about the specific example i don't know what the big theoretical implications of it are and you just are constantly going back and forth between that but the great thing about todd mcgowan even though todd and zizek are not like it's not like todd just agree it just simply agrees on every point but they are also so similar in the framework that they're working in that like they really reading reading them together has been so helpful for me and like Zizek can illuminate things that McGowan says McGowan illuminates things that Zizek says and it's really really rewarding to, to read them together and now so, you 
And now you get to illuminate, and now you get to illuminate it all for us. Well, yeah, okay, perfect. <laughs> so, but no, so, so Todd's new book is uh, the politics of enjoying, or it's uh, called enjoying right and left, something mm -hmm. like that. And he's already there is a great video that's on YouTube. I think if you type in enjoying right and left, it's a hour long interview he did. And he's basically giving you the gist of what the book as a whole is going to be about. And what he argues, even in this video that you can watch. But what he's going to argue in this book is that on the right and on the left, we have two different forms of enjoyment. And he's trying to say that politics as a whole has been organized around the battle or the struggle between these two different forms of enjoyment. And that rightist enjoyment is organized around a particular enemy or, you know, a threatening sublime object as we just worked out what that means in the other videos, right? Right. Whereas Luther's enjoyment is about enjoyment of the universal lack. So the point is, rightist enjoyment tends to enjoy the scapegoat, right? The particular figure that is obfuscating structural deadlocks. So whenever you start blaming a scapegoat, I don't care if it's the Jews or immigrants, whoever it is, the problem in this is that the real social problems are being caused by the system itself, right? Look, I get it. Like if, if, some, if you were living in some ancient little village and a, a brutal conqueror came running, you know, bringing his army to your village and they started raping and pillaging obviously an external enemy is your problem like obviously but the way that the scapegoat works in modern society is in capitalist society there's all these structural problems these contradictions in the marxist sense that are baked into the system itself and because that's incredibly complicated and it's dizzying to try to think all of that the scapegoat becomes an easy option because now you can just disregard all of these structural problems and you can pinpoint the root of the problems you're facing on some external foreign intruder, a scapegoat. And you find that politics is long. You find this history of scapegoating in it. And it says, oh, there was like a, there was a good time. It's, it's, it involves nostalgia. There was a good time before the, the, alien force came into our society it's the whole organic community shit um and, and this this scapegoat figure came and destabilized our society and if we could get rid of the scapegoat things would go back to being good um right well okay so that's one way of doing right and, and and the two parties currently exist by doing this with one another and the entire media system does and yeah. you know that that's the the duopoly is upheld by people thinking that it's just the other side you know in, in, and that's it, what you can say is like that i mean I, and mcgowan makes that argument in in so many terms and you know in he's made this argument basically like what we call the left in america we can just say that a lot of what is called the left or even what is called straight up what's called the left still has a rightist form of enjoyment uh. that oh there's these bad people and if you get rid of them they're the, the trump supporters like they're the problem if you get rid of all of them then things would be good right um 
And, and then the, the other side does the same thing. Oh, if you get rid of all these woke, woke SJWs, you get rid of the liberals who are destroying our values. And neither side is truly focused on the the structural lack, which which be time energy. Which is for McGowan, the true true leftist politics, true leftist organization is geared around the an enjoyment that is that is connected to the structural deadlocks in society, right? So, which is to say, it's a, a form of enjoyment that is based on trying to undermine the system as a whole, opposed to blaming a particular enemy for what's going on. It's as if, you can basically say. One focuses on a particular enemy. The other focuses on the general structure. And so, for example, right, there, there is in every social order, symbolic network, whatever we want to call it, a position of non-belonging, which is to say no social order can incorporate everything that is into it. Now, this maybe sounds a little confusing, but... The whole point is, I'll use a basic example for you guys. You've been doing these language learning videos. I had a friend of mine tell me that for her, learning Arabic wasn't simply learning a new language. It wasn't simply learning a collection of new words. A brand new world opened up for her in learning Arabic and learning another language. And that, and she was, I wish I had all of these examples. This was years ago, but she was giving me these examples of how you can say things about the world in Arabic that you simply can't say in English. Right. That English is inherently limited. Right. Like there's, there's lacks in it. There's things that it is not able to incorporate or say. And, and yeah, ways of being. Say what? Ways of being. Sure. We can call it that. And, and at the same side, because she's, you know, grew up speaking English. She says things in English that you can't say in Arabic. And that always stuck with me where this was like a really great concrete example of saying how like Arabic as a symbolic language and English as symbolic languages, they are both lacking. They both, they both have things that they can do that the other can't do, but they also can't do things the other can do. Right. And for Zizek, this is basically a universal truth about all symbolic orders, uh, matrices of intelligibility, mm -hmm. conceptual frameworks, whatever you want to call it. And so, when, like, for example, when he says there is no fig other, what he means is that there is no conceptual framework that is absolutely consistent with itself and can make sense of everything, right? Every symbolic order is inherently limited and inconsistent with itself. And so that's the idea is that every symbolic order necessarily generates its own structures of non-belonging. Basically, there's things that cannot belong within this social framework. Now, some of those things can be made to belong to society, but we have to change the social framework in order for them to become in order for them to belong. But there will always be a space of non-belonging. And so, for McGowan... So you're saying certain... You're saying... You're saying... Tried. So you're saying certain things that currently... So certain things that currently occupy the space of non-belonging could be 
incorporated uh, in some cases, but that there's always going to be some space of non-belonging and something's going to occupy it. Yes. Well, your utopian picture would be like, oh, look, there's nothing left out. Everything has its place. Well, like the the Hegelian, Lacanian, Zizekian, Megawian position would be, no, there's, based on every symbolic order, there, there's, there's basically no reason for us to even think there's any type of symbolic order that can be without lacks, gaps, inconsistencies by simply viewing all symbolic orders that have ever existed. And there is no other of the other, which is a famous Lacanian aphorism. We don't have a meta language. All language is just the language we have. And trying to do some idealized language, even to try to make one, you're still piggybacking off of our real existing inconsistent symbolic orders to do that. And so this kind of incompleteness theory of not only, I mean, I don't want to go into Zizek's ontology right now, but basically he thinks reality itself is incomplete, which that takes it to another level, right? That the real, what the universe, whatever, the, the quantum mechanics at that level, that reality itself is incomplete and inconsistent. And we see the paradoxes that quantum physics get us, right? But again, that's we're going into ontology. I don't want to do that. He's just saying that our conceptual frameworks, everyone we've ever known is not able to integrate everything. They're limited, they're lacking, which is to say they're like us, right? They're, they're, they're like human subjects insofar as we are at odds with ourselves, we are inconsistent, we're not able to know everything, right? And so that's the key for McGowan is that rightist what he calls rightist enjoyment or conservative enjoyment however it's now who we apply that to look there's people who are liberals or even leftists who can be tapped in to a rightist form of enjoyment yeah, so yeah and then you want to call are there people who are conservative or rightist that are tapped into a leftist kind i don't know if that how that works i know that the one side can have the other's form of enjoyment and this is, look mcgowan makes it clear that rightist enjoyment is way easier to mobilize than leftist enjoyment. One, because it's much easier to point at a group and blame them than it is to think through structural problems. And it's, it's, it's an easier mechanism. Scapegoating is easy. Structural critique is, that's harder. And so, but th th and I think I mentioned this to you before, but here's the thing, right? So, but if, if your, your political enjoyment is geared towards the universal lack or towards the structural deadlock, or the what what Lacanians will call the missing signifier, or the lack in the other. Just to say, if it's geared towards the gap in in the general social framework, that's totally different than enjoying at the expense of a particular enemy that you've placed over the structural lack to obfuscate it. To, to make it like, oh, no, it's not a, really a structural problem. It's an empirical problem that stems from this group. Mm. And so one thing that, and you know this, right? You're saying, can something that's in the position of non-belonging end up being integrated into a, the social order? Yes, but that social framework itself must change. The example that's relevant to you is time energy. 
Uh, yeah. Right now, it's a universal latch. It's in the position of the missing signifier. It's in the, the empty spot of the real, right? It's what we don't have. Could we generate a social order, a new symbolization, wherein time energy would be something human beings get to have? Yes, but that comes at the expense of a new symbolization, a restructuring of society. Yeah, when you think about, like, if if people became aware of time energy in the way that they are of money itself... um. I think that everything would try to accommodate itself, honestly. I mean, obviously, capitalists are never going to be like, oh, yay, yeah, let's move towards a, a like a post-work world, you know, where, where instead of, like, shit jobs and bullshit jobs, people just have some basic societal chores, and then there's, like, different ways people can get extra things if they really want to, but people have their bases covered, and we're not, like, in this accelerating, like, crazy world. You know, is there a way that we could... If if people get that desire, obviously it's going to undermine the 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 profit, the vested profit interests of you know people who are in power today. But the yeah. but you could, but but also a society, you could also see a lot of people in the existing society go, um, why do we have to do this? Why do why do we have to put our time and energy on a treadmill and an, and an auction block uh, where there's an arms race for it and our attention all the time when we could like, hey, what, you know, so, so yeah, exactly. But getting people aware of time energy as that lack, because it, it, it is, right? And it is in the place of non-belonging. Um, and that's why McGowan, like, is I the goal. Hold up a little bit about your theory of time and energy. And, but here's the thing. Your politics, you you want a politics based around time energy. That is for Todd, intrinsically a leftist form of politics and a leftist form of enjoyment, because you're trying to mobilize people around this common universal lack. This is and this is this is why I refuse to. Well, I try. I try to refuse getting dragged into like the politics of groups as as much as humanly possible and try to be, I'm like, I'm against groups. I'm critical of institutions and ideology. I'm for people. And I, and I will, and I want everybody because everybody's failing or not sufficient in various ways. I want, wait, what? No, that's what I, I mean. And that's one of the things I love so much about time energy politics is it's a universalist politics. Everyone is welcome to this. Like, uh, 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 right, whether we call it rightist or conservative, I almost like scapegoating politics. Even Just call it that. Because yeah. what it does is like, look, there. here's the thing. There are good people who are conservatives and rightists, and, and I work with them. And right. even though I, this is like old school kind of American disposition. Yeah, I totally disagree with them on politics. But as far as their character goes, they're good, decent people. And so if, if we talk like this is where I'm just aware of words, but they don't, here's the thing. They, they, they're not some radical white supremacist, right? They're, they're not, they don't do any of that shit. They just think that lowering taxes on rich and blah, blah, blah. They do that kind of stuff. And they're, they're, you know, I just don't like making 
<laughs> these people I work with out to be like agents of evil. They're not. And so, yeah. On the one hand, though, but there is there's absolute truth to what McGowan is saying about this type of scapegoating form of politics. That is absolutely, I absolutely go with that. And so the problem is with any form of scapegoating politics, and you think about Charlottesville, Jews will not replace us. Well, okay, Jews can't join that political movement because it is a particularity through and through. Like it's, its political organization is based around the particularities of those who belong, the particular people who belong, and then the, the particular group that doesn't belong, which I guess is in this case is the Jews, right? So this form of scapegoating politics always have, it's always split between those who belong and are good and noble and those who are bad who destabilize and corrupt, right? That form of politics, fuck that shit, and a real form of politics that is universally inclusive is the other type that says, no, it's not based on your particular identity. Like, it, it, a real leftist universalism is the opposite of identity politics insofar as everyone's welcomed because, in a sense, everyone, can, in a, in a specific way, is part of this universal lack. Mm -hmm. So, time energy. I don't care if you're white, black, gay, straight, hetero, you know, whatever, uh, trans, cis, all of us lack our time energy. Right. Right? Like, we're all dealing with this universal lack. And so, a leftist politics would try to organize all of us around this common lack we all have, opposed to our particular identity. In an attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established, we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. What's up, guys? It's Anna Dave. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism, PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time energy critique of any of those things. This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, and really we're gonna be all over the area there, hopefully, so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state Phoenix, Arizona, mid-October, and SoCal, especially San Diego, late October. I say especially San Diego because we already have our guide for the San Diego region. What's the difference between a host, a guide, and a volunteer, you ask? Well, thanks for asking, actually. The volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city. Whereas the host might have a guest bedroom, guest house, or a place that we can park our van so that we can sleep in our van. We need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that. And so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer. 
Guiding, on the other hand, though, people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge. A good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri, and he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland, who took us around Katowice, Poland, and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything. And it was amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced. And it made us realize some people just want to provide the space and privacy, whereas other people want to take you out and show you around. And so if you're interested in being a volunteer, host, or guide, we have a special form for that. So please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule because we'll love to meet you, touch base with the local community. And if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Bolgrillard, in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in, that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. This tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. And yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs' first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs is gearing up to teach For They Know Not What They Do by Slavoj Žižek. We're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations that already we've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations, um, and so thank you. And uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Theory Underground app. So the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts, and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that yeah people have read the stuff that you're reading uh that you're bringing into dialogue and so uh for instance the idea of the university by carl jaspers dedicated forum slavoj zizek's for they don't know what they do dedicated forum and then as people take the course over the years 
new people will be coming into that forum. And so if you get in there early, you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves. And as new people add into the conversation, it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through, questions that you had with the first time that you read the text. And so I'm really excited for this. The reason I've built this website is because I think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces is that ability to return, to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like Discord. And so stay tuned because there is an app on the way. Thank you to our donors. If you want to donate, go to theory-underground.com forward slash support. Thank you.